0: Now you know why the microphone's set so low. (laughs) Everyone else has had to do this. Um, So, as Roger said, we um, are looking at the book of James, and for anyone who hasn't been following, um, just to give a short introduction of James, this is from the NIV Youth Bible. Yes, I have a youth Bible. Um, And it says in it that James was written... By James, no surprises there, although sometimes the books aren't written by the people whose names they hold. Um, he was thought to be the brother of Jesus. It was written to Jewish Christians at the time. It could be one of the earliest letters of the New Testament, possibly written around AD 45. And the main theme here is that real faith gets put into action. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. It needs to affect the way that we live, and in particular, the way that we treat the poor. So last week, we looked at um, keeping the peace, and in particular, we just spoke about war. War amongst ourselves, war within ourselves, and war with the devil. The week before, we looked at the tongue with the title of Watch Your Mouth, Glad I didn't get that one. (laughs) Um, And then this week, the title is Being Part of the World, but Not of the World. And we're going to be looking at James 4, verses 4 to 6. And now Jill is going to come and read those to us. Good morning, everyone. As Maria said, just three verses, but what challenging verses. I don't envy you, Maria. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thank you, Jill. So we're going to start by looking at these verses one at a time. Then we will have um, a short reflection when the band will come and, and play um, and we can have either reflect on what's been said so far or, or worship God. Um, and then I'm going to read verses four to six from the message. And we're going to... Well, this will give a flavor of the conversational meaning at the um, time that that, um, that it was written in the original Greek. So it starts off, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So we join this passage at a point of love and pain. The first analogy we see here is one of adultery. There's no gentle introduction. It's bam, hits you straight between the eyes. And for some reason, um I thought about when I was a, a little girl, I used to love watching um the original Batman series. And I think when something used to happen, you used to get the cartoon up, didn't it? And it was like, bam, or, you know, wow, or whatever it was. And that's what kind of came into my mind um when I was thinking about this. And God calls these Jewish... Christians and adulterous people, which is a term that they were really familiar with. So in Ezekiel 16, Israel is likened to an unfaithful wife or a faithless bride. And he tells them this over and over again, but it doesn't do the trick. It doesn't somehow change the pattern of behavior that they have. So he tries a physical demonstration and asks Hosea to marry a promiscuous woman, actually showing them you know, this is what's happening. And that even though they were unfaithful, that God's love is faithful and it is steadfast. And God later told His um, Isaiah to get, go and find his wife, Gomer, and to show her the same love and compassion that he is showing the people of Israel. Now, I'm not saying here that reconciliation is always the way forward, relationships break down and marriages end. And within some churches, there's a lot of judgment around that, that somehow it's kind of a worldly problem. It doesn't happen in here. But we know, many of us here know, me included, that that's not the case. Many of us have experienced divorce. It's painful and it's difficult. But like any painful, difficult experience... God is with you in it. If we stay close to Him, He heals us, gets us through, and He guides us to a better place. So let me tell you what this verse doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if somehow you're you're a Christian or you go to church, you absolutely don't have friends that don't go to Christian that, uh, that don't say that they're Christians or go to church. I mean, look who Jesus hung out with to start with. And I feel like I might create a bit of an age divide here when I say what we're not going to do is either go through our address books and get a pen and cross out the addresses or we're going to go to our phones and we are going to delete the contacts in there. So just as a a show of hands, who still has their addresses written down on paper? Yeah, so for those of you at home, I'm not the only one. (laughs) I still like paper and pen yeah so so what does it mean then what does this verse mean so these people were power hungry and they were greedy and they wanted to have money not so they could bless the poor not so that they could do good things but so that they could satisfy their own desires and pleasures Chapter thirteen, verse four—sorry, chapter three, verse fourteen—says they harboured bitter and bitter envy and selfish ambition. And although it doesn't say this, if we think about the overall theme of James, they may, as I said, you know, be doing this to the detriment of the poor. There was division. There was fighting. And this was being brought into the church within living memory of his death. If this was written around AD 45, then this is only about 12 years after Jesus' death. Some of them may even have been there. So the newly formed church, who was called the Bride of Christ, his sacrifice so fresh and so new... And so many things were accomplished and I can't get my head around all the things that were accomplished on the cross. But we do know that Jesus paid the price for every sinful act or thought or action for all eternity. And he made a way for us to become children of God, his brothers, his sisters, to make so that his father could be our father. And a whole new way opened up to us. Now I'm going to do a little demonstration of one of the changes that happened. And um, Michelle, can you please tell Paul that I love him and I'm glad I'm married to him? Paul, Maria loves you and she's glad that she married you. So that's one way that God used to have to speak to us. The next way might have been, Paul, Paul, okay, Paul. I love you and I'm glad I'm married to you. Now, this is the bit that he's going to hate, but I've had a really bad week, so he's, he's humoring me. So, Paul, come on. Up you come. I love you, and I'm glad I'm married to you. Right, now, sit back. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> So Jesus, because of what Jesus did, he enabled us to come close to him and him to come close to us. He no longer needed to shout at us, or he really might. Sometimes I think he needs to shout at me a little bit. But, you know, and he doesn't need to use somebody else to tell us. He can come close to us and he can whisper in our ear and we can whisper in his ear. And not only that, he actually enabled his Holy Spirit to come and live within us. And these people, so quickly, were spoiling that. And we're going to have a little think um, about that later in the the second section. But we return to this place of love and pain. Because Jesus had created a way, and so quickly they were bringing the world into that and spoiling it. Verse 5 says... Do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has placed within us? Now, the research I did brought up three different interpretations for this verse. And I'm going to just give a quick short synopsis of the three of them. But one thing that Bible scholars did agree on is that this is the one of, one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to interpret. <laughs> Yay! Um, so I was very glad for the internet and commentaries and, and things like that when I came to looking at this. Um, they also agree that um, they're not sure which scripture James is referring to here and that it's probably been lost over time. So the first interpretation was that um, the things of the world are at war with the things of the spirit. And we heard a bit about that last week. That there is a battle going on between the old and the new. And this is the picture given to us by Paul in Romans 7. In fact, the New King James Bible interprets this verse like this. The spirit God implanted in man turns towards evil desire. But good news. God gives us grace and he enables us to overcome. The second interpretation is that maybe it's a question. That these people are being jealous and envious of what each other had. And there's a challenge here. Do you think that the spirit of passionate jealousy is the spirit that God put within you? No, it's absolutely not. The answer's the same. Jesus gives grace and Jesus um, and enables us to overcome. The third interpretation that I came across was that the spirit that He has caused to live within us yearns jealously over us, and this fits with the um, theme of God being a jealous husband, eagerly awaiting the return of his bride. And we, again, we will explore a little bit more about that in the second section. Now, I don't know which one, I don't know which one is correct. And you may be leaning more towards one than the other. But there are three things here that we need to be cautious of. One is to not hold too rigidly to our belief. And that is the same in anything really, isn't it? Because unless we've had a conversation with Jesus, our interpretation of the scripture is just that. It's our interpretation. Unless it's something like do not kill. I mean, those kind of things are set, aren't they? That <laughs> we're respectful of one another if we discuss these things, especially if people have a different opinion to us. And that we're not tempted to squeeze scripture into our situations or our points of view and make it fit. Let's look at verse 6. He gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. If we have invited Jesus into our life, we already have his grace. I looked up the original Greek, which the New Testament is written in, and another definition of the word that's used, which I'm not going to try and pronounce, um, is kindness. Another source defined it as unmerited mercy and favour. And James says here that God gives us more grace. Now, when I was young, I loved the Ladybird books. I don't know if anybody remembers those. And I had one called The Magic Porridge Pot. And um, in there, I can't remember the whole story, but the theme of it was that the pot kept making porridge and they couldn't stop it and it overflowed and filled the land. Now, for those Scottish friends amongst us, I don't know if they're now dreaming of a land filled with porridge. So I'm just going to give you a moment, Ian, to get back into the room. Are you with me? Absolutely. You're absolutely good. But we have a picture here of God giving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And he gives the grace to the humble but opposes the proud. And it's thought that James is quoting Proverbs 29 here. We see many examples of this in the Bible, one of which Sarah gave us um, today, earlier on. Um, The one that I've chosen is the example of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Jesus talks about in Luke 18 when they both go into the temple to pray. So... As I'm sure you know, um, a Pharisee is a religious per- was a religious person of the day. They were, it was a branch of Judaism that strictly observed the law and its traditions and commonly held quite a, you know, pretentious superior view of themselves. Tax collectors were Jews who collected the tax for the Romans and they were viewed as traitors. They weren't paid a wage. So they were expected to collect extra to cover their wage. And they often collected way too much and were greedy. And not surprisingly, the Jewish people of the time weren't too happy about this. They were not popular. They were not honest. And they were not holy. Yet when the tax collector prayed, he was humble. He got on his knees He begged for mercy and forgiveness. And the Pharisees stood there proud and thanked God that he was so wonderful and not like other people, not like those people over there. Verse 14 says, I tell you this man, meaning the tax collector, rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. We read verses about God opposing the proud in Psalms, Proverbs, Jeremiah, Amos, Isaiah, 2 Samuel, Daniel, Ezekiel, I could go on. It's okay to feel pleased when we achieve something and it's okay to um, conduct ourselves with self-respect and dignity but having an excessively high opinion of ourselves and our own importance or lording it over others or thinking that actually we don't need God that's a dangerous place to be so there is going to be a picture that is going to appear in a moment (laughs) and um, If we look at this picture, we can see that things are probably not going to end well. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's a little addition. Um, So Paul and I looked at quite a few funny videos in the lead up to this to try and find a piece of video to aptly fit what we were trying to say, but we couldn't find one. But we did have um, quite a laugh looking for it. And, you know, when you're straddling two things that are going in opposite directions, that's uh, not a comfortable place to be, is it? Anyway, so Paul drew, like, the original kind of, of um, line drawing, and he did say um, that he remembered that when he was young, his mum did exactly that when she was trying to get into a boat. But apparently a um, moving picture wasn't invented then, so we actually don't have any footage. <laughs> um, I think I thought that was a lot more funny than he did, but thank you for laughing. (laughs) Um, So it's not easy, is it? It's a difficult place to be. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of two people that have fallen out and you've got one person telling you one lot and moaning about them and that person moaning about them... Or whether when you were younger you had parents who used to fall out all the time and it was constantly, tell your mother this, tell your father that, and you'd be sending messages backwards and forwards. Or maybe you tried to fit into two different groups and actually not managed to fit into either, but felt lonely in both Or maybe you've tried to please two different people at the same time and it's just impossible and you end up pleasing neither. In fact, in Revelation 3 verse 16, God says to the church of Laodicea, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So being in the middle is an uncomfortable place to say the least and not being one thing or another can also be a very difficult place to be. If you speak to a teenager who's trying to fit into a group that they don't really fit into or someone who feels that they were born the wrong gender or maybe you just feel really different in your family. Maybe everyone else is this way and you are that way and you've never really felt um, accepted and or tolerated and at those points you will find heartache and pain. But God gives us here a specific picture of a loving bridegroom and an adulterous bride. Now just say that here we're using this language because that's the language in the Bible, but it equally could have be a, a gender role swap here. Um, There's another picture that Paul drew for me. Um, And I just want you to look at this picture maybe while um, I read to you these three verses from the message. Because here we get a flavor of God's heart. It says, you're cheating on God. If you want your own way, flirting with the world, every chance you get, you end up enemies of god in this way do you suppose god doesn't care the proverbs has it sorry the proverb has it he is a fiercely jealous lover and what he gives in love is far better than anything else you will find it is common knowledge that god goes against the willfully proud but gives grace to the willing humble Now, it was always God's intention to be close to us. He created a beautiful garden for us to enjoy with him that we can walk and talk with him in. Now, I'm not going to get into whether you feel this is a literal representation or whether you feel it's imagery, because the fact is that the sentiment is the same. God created us and he created a place that we could be together. Satan wanted to destroy it, but he couldn't do it himself. So he starts a conversation with Eve. He questions what God has said. He places doubt in her mind. He offers something which seems, and I've got this in capital letters in my notes, seems um, more attractive than what God is offering. And then he gets them themselves to spoil what God has created. So that creates a divide, a distance between them and God. And God spends the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus and saying, there's something coming. There is a saviour coming. But he still yearns for relationship with mankind. So through Abraham, he tries to create a people that can be His own. And what happens? Satan comes in. He questions what God has said. He places doubt in their mind. He offers them things that seem more attractive than what God is offering. And they spoil what God has given them. This happens again and again and again and again, which is why... God calls them, an adulterous people. So it's time for Jesus to bring in a new way. Now, it could take a whole sermon to preach what Jesus accomplished by taking human form, dying on the cross, defeating death and coming back to life. And as I mentioned earlier, someone else would probably have to preach it because I'm sure there are lots of things that I do not get my head around exactly you know all that he accomplished but he could now come close and we could come close to him as we've demonstrated this morning they were forming the early church his bride and what happens (coughs) satan comes in he questions what god has said he puts doubt in their mind he offers them something that seems more attractive than what God offers and they themselves spoil what God has given them. Sound familiar? God knows we can't do it on our own. We have demonstrated to that, him, uh, that to him as a human race over and over and over and over again. And if I'm honest, I've demonstrated it in my life over and over again as well. So he gives us everything that we need. He says, I tell you what, let's do this together. Um, I've had the fight with Satan and he lost, but he really does not want you to live in my victory. So you now have a battle. But I'm going to tell you how to protect yourselves or how to come under my protection. I'm going to give you some armor to put on. Put it on every day. It will protect you. And I'm going to give you some other things to do, which you're going to find quite tricky at times, like maybe loving your neighbour. But I'm going to help you. Stay close to me. Do what I say. I'll guide you through. And I will teach you what to do. Satan can't spoil this. So what does he do? He starts what seems like an innocent conversation. He puts doubt in our minds. He gets us to question what God has said. And he offers us things that seem to be more attractive or better than what God has offered us. And we're off again in the wrong direction. It was a long time ago now, but I remember once God prompting me to send somebody a message And I can't remember the exact words, but it was roughly this. Is the road you're on leading you towards God or away from God? And if it's away from God, it was either something like, is it too late to change the road you're on or it's not too late to change the road you're on? Now, I didn't know it at the time, but that particular person, um, there was some things going on in secret. And... What I do know is that they did not heed the warning and that there was a whole heap of pain that was unleashed on a lot of people. The truth is that it's never too late to change the road that you are on. If it's leading you away from Jesus, while we have breath in our lungs, God is merciful and faithful, even if we aren't, and there is always a way back to him. Always. Now, I've come to see this passage in a different light while I've been um, preparing this message. Sometimes I see God kind of in a way of like wagging his finger and shaking his head and saying, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. It's often what I feel. And to be honest, I don't think the way that the English language translates always Helps because sometimes I think it can sound quite harsh. It's just my opinion. Um, And we certainly can't live the way that we like and expect blessing after blessing, can we? I'm not saying that. Sin creates division. It creates division between ourselves and it creates division between us and God. Maybe the shift I feel is more a shift of motive or a shift of heart. God's desire is to be close to us. He knows we struggle. He accepts that. And he picks us up again and again and again when we fall down. He finds us when we get lost. But there's a different way that he has created for us. And it is a way that we can live in now. A reality that we can experience now. Now we have an enemy who will whisper in our ears. He'll whisper doubt. He'll try and get us to question God. He'll try to tempt us. And if that doesn't work, he may create storms around us by way of circumstances or others' actions or words. But we can learn to live in the eye of the storm and even to avoid some of the storms because, let's face it, some of them we help create ourselves, don't we? The term flirting with the world really jumped out at me. Adultery often starts with flirting. It may seem innocent, but it can end in betrayal and pain. So there's a warning here. Be careful. One degree away from a vertical line, if travelled long enough, takes us to a very different place. We may not be outwardly behaving as the church was here, but we're in a battle. As Roger mentioned last week, sometimes with others which may not be open but it can take forms of maybe being passive aggressive or it might just be internal and nobody knows, sometimes with ourselves and that old sinful nature and sometimes maybe secretly with him because we may feel angry or disappointed but we may feel ashamed and guilty that we feel that so we keep it hidden maybe we're just being open rebellious sometimes we are now, I could name many things that may be coming to the surface for you right now. But I don't believe that's my job. My experience is that when God wants to speak to me something about something, I know it. He brings it to me. And I would just like to say that he does that with love, with compassion, with kindness. And he does it for one reason, and that is to get us back closer to him. I'd just like to make a distinction here, though, because Satan loves to bind us with things of the past that have been dealt with. And if he is whispering in your ear right now with false guilt and shame about things from the past, just flick him off your shoulder. He's a liar. If you have sincerely asked God for forgiveness for something, it is done. You have it. The Bible says it's as far from the east as to the west. But if God is showing you something that you need to sort out, come close to him. Be honest and allow him to teach you how to draw on his strength and how to resist temptation. In the message, verse 7 of James 4 reads, So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper.
1: Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that we've been able to celebrate, that we've been able to revel in the wonders of your love towards us. We thank you, though, as well, that we've heard words that are true and hard to hear, because there are times when we kind of maybe, without our knowing sometimes, are finding ourselves walking in two different camps, and maybe today is a day, that you've alerted us to that, where you've, uh, as Maria's encouraged, brought something to mind that we need to deal with, where God is saying, stop, enough. Draw us back into yourself. And as we seek your forgiveness now, may we taste and see that the Lord is good. May we revel again in that incredible grace, hearing the words, I love you coming from above feeling drenched not in porridge but rather in your amazing amazing eternal love towards us Father would you help any of us with whatever decision we need to make to hear your words saying if today you hear my voice do not harden your hearts help us to have the courage to respond to what you said to us In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us.